about the Utah Jazz's struggles to begin this season and what is different with this team as opposed to the squad that finished last season on such a hot streak. We'll go to Charlotte to speak with Walker Mail of Locked On Hornets about the Hornets team reinvigorating themselves under new coach James Borrego in a completely different offensive style, bringing the fun back to Charlotte basketball. And lastly, we'll go to Denver to speak with Adam Maris of Locked On Nuggets about one of the best teams in the NBA, the 8-1 Denver Nuggets. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to Locked On NBA for another week. It is your Monday show, and I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com, and I'm the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, a five-day-a-week show covering fantasy basketball, but also recapping all the NBA action across every day of the week. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble, and make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA, net the NBA season, lots of stories always going on. Big performances, surprising performances. We're going to talk about a few of those today. So let's get to it. I'm now joined by the host of the uh, Locked On Jazz podcast, the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, and one of your hosts here on Locked On NBA as well, to talk about a team that many thought we pushing up right into the top four of the Western Conference. But David Locke, the Utah Jazz, are they're struggling at the moment on the back currently of a three-game uh, winless streak. Um, what's is there is any reason for panic here with the way the Jazz are, are playing at the moment? I don't think there's any reason for panic. Um, I think it's worth taking note of a few things. I don't think you want to just sit here ignorantly and say, oh, it's all uh, perfectly fine. There are probably a few items out there that that jump out a little bit. But for the most part, um, the Jazz have a particularly difficult schedule early in the year and then a particularly soft schedule later in the year. So I actually have always thought that they would hover around 500 for uh, much of the early part of the season. The one thing that's just a little different is that they have not been the elite defensive team, uh, that they were for most, for all of last year, maybe not the biggest surprise in the sense that it's pretty hard to play with that same level of intensity, um, and desperation that they were playing with, but you would think that they would be better than they are, uh, defensively right now. And that, that jumps out a little bit, and you probably got to try to figure out what's going on with that. Yeah, so they're, according to Basketball Reference, got the 15th best defense at the moment, 15th best offense as well. What's the reason for the defense slacking off? Because we had stretches last season when Rudy Gobert was out, and then when he came back in and made such a huge difference to the way that this defense played, and they were an elite, you know, one of the best defenses that we've seen in that short stretch of time you know, after Gobert returned from injury. But he's here. Everyone's healthy aside from you know, Donovan Mitchell missing uh, some time there with that ankle injury injury what's actually happening with the defense is there anything that's really standing out from watching it so there's probably we're dealing with a little bit of small sample size by the way i want to point out that i have his 13th at both just you know if you're gonna you know i'm just <laughs> kidding um so if you look at you know you have to, i think when there's nine games going on and that's your sample size i think you have to start looking to some extent to the specifics of you know, you can now look at the nine games, right, and just look at it. So one thing that the Jazz have always had a little bit of a difficulty defending is the stretch five. 
yep. that that brings Gobert out on the floor and causes the Jazz a little bit of difficulty defending. So against um, Minnesota, that certainly happened. The Jazz had a defensive rating of a 121 that night. Um, against Memphis, that certainly happened. The Jazz had a defensive rating of 119. Against the Warriors, that certainly happened. The Jazz had a defensive rating of 120. The other time they played Memphis, the Jazz actually played pretty well defensively. And then opening night, actually, I would just give Sacramento a ton of credit. They just ran up and down the floor at a speed that I don't think the Jazz were ready for, and they scored a lot. But you take those – so take the three – Warriors, Minnesota, and Memphis, big nights. Every other night has been 102.6 or below, which would lead, which would be the best in the league. So I'm not, I think there's a little sample size game going on here where the Jazz have uniquely opened the season playing five of their opening nine games against stretch fives. And they really had a great defensive game last night against Denver, but they were playing their sixth game in six cities and it was on the ESPN meh you know, mass schedule report and they played great and t- they just couldn't hit a shot. So they were six of 31 from three and then fell apart in the fourth quarter uh, when Donovan got hurt. So I, I'm, I'm not too worried about some of these things. Speaking of Donovan Mitchell, it hasn't been, it hasn't been the same Donovan Mitchell to start the season that we saw in the playoffs or the end of last season. He's dealing with a couple of injuries. What's the update on his yeah, current yeah, medical status at the moment? So he had a hamstring strain, and then he kind of twisted an ankle. But he said after the game he was just being a baby, um, which was kind of typical to Donovan. Um, so hopefully he's all right. We'll see. He was great on that trip. He was actually far better player um, on that trip in, in a lot of ways than he was for at any point of the season last year. On the road trip, he went, averaged 27 points, two rebounds, six assists, shot 53% from the floor and 48% from three. So that's an efficiency level he never had last year. Uh, the Jazz are 13th in the league offensively, which is pretty impressive when your two-point guards are shooting 38 and 35%. Yeah, that's true. Rubio has uh, struggled quite a bit this season, as he always seems to do at the beginning of the season. One other thing I do want to talk about, you know, going back a bit more to their to their defense, is uh, Derek Favors. We saw that combination. It had struggled at times in the past, but last season, the Favors-Gobert combination worked very, very well. It was a key part of that real defensive uh, stand that they took over those last two or three months of the season. But we're seeing uh, Favors' minutes drop this, this year, as Quinn Snyder's going with more Jay Crowder at the power forward position. Favors is averaging only 22 uh, minutes per game, whereas Crowder is up at 31. Is that sort of switch, you think, that is potentially hurting the defense? That's a change from how they were running things last season as well. The defense is better when uh, Jay Crowder and Rudy Gobert is on the floor than Jay Crowder and Derek Favors are on the floor. The pro- actually, let, me, Jer- say, let me say that again. The defense is better when Rudy Gobert and Jay Crowder are on the floor than Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Okay. Uh, are on the floor. The problem right now is when Jay Crowder and Derek Favors are on the floor um, defensively. Uh, the starting, you know, even just the starting lineup, defensive rating is a 105.1, and you bring in Jay Crowder, and it drops, according to Clean the Glass, it drops to 98.9. The lineup, um, there are some other lineups that are having some weird defensive outings. So you have such small sample sizes, you're not sure why. So you have to try to take a look at that a little bit. Um, the starting lineup can't score right now. Uh, the starting lineup's problem is not defensively, though 105.1 is not great. But they they really are having a hard time scoring. Um, the, according to Cleaning the Glass, their points per possession are in the fifth percentile in the NBA. Okay. Now, when Jay Crowder comes in, they're in the 91st percentile. 
Um, so that's something that, you know, this happened last year too, and they solved it. Uh, I don't know if it's as easily solvable or whether, um, there's some, the rule changes maybe make it even more difficult to play with two bigs than it ever did. Cause you don't you take advantage of the freedom of movement. Um, but Gobert is not getting the ball on the roll when Derek favors is on the floor right now, or not getting it on the floor on the roll nearly the same. We talked already that the Jays have lost their last three games. They have a, an interesting schedule coming up on, on Monday. They take on the Raptors in their next six games. They've got to take on the Celtics and the 76ers as well. They play the Mavericks twice. But, David, they also take on their, uh, I guess, their, their voodoo-type team, the Grizzlies, who have beaten them twice already this season. What has stood out in those two Grizzlies losses, which I guess most Jazz people would have easily not even penciled in for victories. They would have written it in in a very thick marker that they're going to get those victories. What is it about those Grizzlies games, and is it something that is a repeatable pattern or just some weird flukiness in those two performances that should give the Jazz, I guess, a, a bit more hope to get back over them in this game coming up next week? No, Marcus Gasol gives the Jazz lots of problems. Um, the defensive player of the year, Marcus Gasol, right now is healthy and looks good. Uh, Memphis is playing pretty well, but he, Marcus Gasol is able to disrupt the, you know, the, the Memphis is, I think, number two in the league defending the pick and roll right now. Um, because of Marcus Gasol. So the defensive player of the year, Marcus Gasol, is, is out there right now. Now, in, will he be in two months at 34 years old? I think that's a legitimate question of whether he'll be able to maintain that. But right now, the Jazz, unfortunately, got Memphis three times in the first 14, 15 games this year when they're going to be fresh and healthy before their bodies break down. Uh, and then the flip side is back to that Marcus Gasol's a stretch five. Yep. So he's, you know, really, there are not at least if you can come up with, there's no stretch five in the league who's also good defensively. Uh, unless you, unless unless you include M- Embiid in that? I wouldn't call Embiid a stretch five yet, but okay. maybe. Um, I mean, Embiid's really incredible right now, so it's probably yeah. he's in a stratosphere. And maybe if you count Draymond as a five, but yep. Steve really doesn't play Draymond as a five until the playoffs to keep his body together. But Carl Anthony Towns, Nikolai Jokic... Channing Fry and when he was healthier. Those guys are not particularly good defensive players. Marcus Gasol is a great defensive player. Super Quinn Snyder was talking about how elite level his feet are and all the things he does. And he is hitting 50% of his catch-and-shoot threes right now. So that's a tough ma- – Memphis is a tough matchup. If you actually go back last year and, and look at the numbers, that was true as well. The Jazz did not – they won. But they would, they would win games where they were able to um, – particularly where they were able to defend – so if Memphis has a good shooting night against the Jazz, the Jazz get in a little bit of trouble. Uh, and that's a little bit of what happened in that um, in the last matchup at home uh, where Memphis ended up shooting pretty well and had a good offensive game. The other time, Memphis did not. They just beat the Jazz, but the Jazz had a bad offensive game. It's going to be interesting to see how this all goes, a team that many people were really hyped about to see this season. A struggle to start the season, but we are a long way from the finish line. David Locke, you're going to cover... Who is your... Oh, go ahead. Quickly, I know you got to jump to the next guys. Who is your... Two, three, four in the West right now, if you're projecting out, not seeing today. Who are you projecting out to be two, three, four in the West as we sit today? Well, from memory, the way I had it at the beginning of the season was Golden State, Houston, Utah, and Denver. Um, yeah, Denver's obviously lived up to that so far. Houston and Utah haven't, but I, I do feel that both of those teams are going to uh, push back up. So I'll probably stick with that same four at, at this uh, at this early stage, not you know, deviating too much from you know, after let's say, eight or nine games from my preseason projections. Josh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, David. 
The Locked On Podcast Network is doing some great things over on Twitter and on Instagram. One of the best accounts you can go follow on Twitter is our Locked On NBA Network handle, Locked On NBA Net, and it gives you all of the hosts of the Locked On Network across all 30 teams, gives all of their takes coming through one single feed. It's amazing during the games, any breaking news, any sort of information from post-game, pre-game press conferences, you'll see it on our Locked On NBA Net Twitter feed. And on Instagram, Locked On NBA Net is also giving you the biggest stories, just one minute on their Instagram stories and longer cuts on the biggest stories in the feeds as well. So make sure you're following Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Hornets podcast to speak, of course, about the Charlotte Hornets, a team that has a new identity this season with a new head coach in James Borrego. They've started the season uh, five and five, a couple of decent performances, some uh, some wins that maybe uh, weren't expected. Uh, but things look different in Charlotte, Walker. What's the biggest change with Borrego here now instead of Steve Clifford with the way this Hornets team is playing? Well, they're, they're switching everything defensively first. I mean, that's one thing you look at on that side of the ball, and that's something that was not utilized under Steve Clifford. And then offensively, it's really easy to see the amount of threes that they're taking has certainly gone up a lot. You look at what Kimba Walker was doing, certainly at the beginning part of the season, and even still, I mean, the guy has brought his game to a new level. His three-point volume has gone up. He was at, I think, within the first five games of the season, was the leader in in the league. Um, among three points, uh, three pointers hit, and also the attempts were were through the roof compared to what he had shot in previous seasons. So you see Kemba really you know, taking a lot more threes. You know, it was something that they wanted Marvin Williams to take a higher volume, even though he has not been efficient by any stretch. Marvin Williams has been taking a higher volume of threes. So that that's the number one thing on offense. I think you see right away is just the amount of shots that they're putting up from beyond the arc and defensively how much they're switching. And then, of course, there are a bunch of different lineups that Borrego has been utilizing. Steve Clifford simply would not go to. They have been going extremely small. They've ran Marvin at the five. Even uh, Nick Toom has seen some five. MKG has ran at the five a couple of times, and that's something that uh, Steve Clifford never did here in Charlotte. So you're seeing uh, a couple of very different things under Borrego compared to what you got from Clifford last uh, last five seasons, I guess, here in Charlotte. Yeah, the the going small thing is interesting. They went you know, super small, as you mentioned, with those Michael Kidd Gilchrist at center lineups. This is a team who does have three centers who you could consider, I guess, rotation centers in Cody Zeller, uh, Billy Hernan Gomez, and Bismack Biombo. And at times, going without any of those guys. You mentioned Kemba Walker. He's attempting over ten threes per game this season, hitting forty percent of them. You know, one of the you know, biggest success stories to begin in this season, but the Hornets are still having some of their issues. They did lose a game earlier on this season to the Bulls, um, yeah, just knocked off recently by the by the Thunder, but it feels a little bit different with this Charlotte team. Is there more excitement around the squad with this yeah, different style they're playing defensively and uh, going small and more three-point shooting offensively? Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely more exciting to watch this team. This team is certainly more entertaining, and I think one of the biggest parts of them being more entertaining is the play of Malik Monk. One, you're actually seeing him get run this season, which was a big criticism of Steve Clifford last year. He just didn't rely on Malik Monk at all because his defense was a liability. There are still some problems defensively for Malik Monk. He allowed Dennis Schroeder to go off on him in OKC, and his 21 points in the Oklahoma City game a couple of games ago, that really hurt Charlotte in trying to win that game, but eventually OKC would go on and that was their third straight win. But Malik Monk playing the poor defense on Shooter certainly allowed them to win that game. But offensively, 
Malik Monk also contributing there where there was a stretch. Oklahoma City's defense was locked down in the half court and nobody could create anything except for Malik Monk. Kimball was actually on the bench for that stretch, just getting some uh, just getting some breath. And Malik Monk came and broke the defense down a couple of times, but then on the other end gave up a couple of easy baskets to Schroeder and, and guys like Alex Abrinas when he was supposed to be on him. There were times where he got a couple of open threes, but it, this, as far as entertainment, uh, this has absolutely been a more exciting, entertaining team with all the threes going up, with the small ball lineup being utilized, Malik Monk's play being fun, and even Miles Bridges when he does get on the court. You know, Miles Bridges has been a very fun rookie to see out there, even defensively. He'll kind of not be in the right position, but he gives 100% and every single uh, effort play that he has. So, you know, he finds himself in the wrong position, but his extreme athleticism, you know, he'll actually be able to challenge some shots and come over on help side defense and just find himself with an unlikely block. And, and those are always fun. So it, it's a very entertaining team right now uh, because of the play of a couple of their young guys and just the overall new style that James Borrego has implemented. Yeah, interesting you mentioned about Monk and how Clifford basically just refused to play him until we hit the uh, you know, late March, April part of last season when he did put up some pretty strong numbers over those final you know, six to ten games. And Miles Bridges has had those opportunities in and out of, of rotations, and but he's getting at least playing time and being exposed to you know, lineups with some of the other bigger players to try and integrate him into that, into this system and see how he develops. Now, the Hornets at the moment, Walker are sitting in the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, but a couple of big games coming up, a win, a victory they have to get against the Hawks on Wednesday, but then against some uh, playoff caliber teams in the Sixers and the Detroit Pistons, who they could potentially be in a battle for, for that six, seven, eight seed in the Eastern Conference. They've played the Sixers once already, just a, a narrow loss there. We assume, and hard to assume all this, that they will get that victory against the Hawks. But what can they do to turn around that ledger from last time against the Sixers? Well, against the Sixers, they actually experimented with Bismack Biombo. That was the only game, I believe. He got significant minutes because they were just so small. And with Embiid out there on the court, they needed to counteract his size somehow. And Biombo was a guy that they trusted enough defensively to put out there more so than a guy like Billy Hernan Gomez, who simply is not a good defender. He's really struggled at that end of the floor, and it's kept him off the court uh, in a bunch of different situations. So they tried Biombo. It'll be interesting to see. I think they just got to hit shots. Malik Monk, which is easy, which is the easiest analysis ever, but Malik Monk was extremely cold in that game. To get better in this one, they rely so much on Malik scoring because without Malik Monk, this team has constantly struggled the last few years with trying to find that secondary scoring. And that's exactly why they took Malik Monk uh, a couple of years ago. And so when he's able to give you 20 points, that's such a boost not having to rely on Kimba to get you 40 just to be in these games. And there's a, it's a big reason why the Hornets have lost a lot of close games. I mean, the stat, it goes back to the last couple of seasons where they've only won a handful of, of, co of games that are within two possessions in the last minute or so, and, and to see the other team just find a way to win and the Charlotte Hornets continue to struggle in that area. And you mentioned a couple of the teams that they're going to be battling with. It, it looks good for the Hornets right now with the Wizards imploding in an embarrassing fashion. You know, Detroit is, is the only team you think of that you had them battling with at the beginning of the season that's actually put up some pretty good victories. So, Washington's imploding. Miami doesn't look great right now. Uh, Cleveland, certainly, if there was any kind of belief in Cleveland, you have to see, you have to think that goes out the window, and certainly with Kevin Love's injury. So when, when you're looking at those teams that the Charlotte Hornets were potentially battling with, 
it looks like Detroit is going to be that team around that 10 to 8, 7 seed of those teams where you thought the Hornets were going to battle with. It looks like the Hornets are one of the stronger when it comes to that specific group. They're the number two offense in the NBA, according to Basketball Reference. Uh, they are scoring the second most points per game as well. They have the third highest assists per game number. So their offense, and, and you talked about three-point attempts, they're number one, getting up almost 35 three-point attempts per game. So a significant change as opposed to last season. We thought, uh, Walker, they would also be increasing their pace pretty significantly, but they're sitting at 21st there. So there is still some room for improvement. It is going to be interesting to see how all this comes together as Borrego it pushes this team through into the, the months as other teams start to adjust to the changes that he has made to this squad but it's been a, a hugely positive start with a lot more excitement coming in Charlotte for this Hornets team if you want to hear more about the Hornets make sure you're checking out Locked On Hornets as Walker has all that information for you five days a week Walker thanks for coming on Locked On NBA yeah thanks for having me Josh I always enjoy it is your company looking for a new way to reach customers? Your company could be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors that they hear on their podcast. Our demographic is 98% male, higher educated, higher earning than your traditional media audience. So have your company sponsor this podcast by emailing lockedonpodcasts at gmail.com. Now we bring in one of the hosts of uh, of Locked On NBA, but also the host of the uh, Locked On Nuggets podcast, the streaking Denver Nuggets, who currently sit at eight and one. It is Adam Mares. Adam, um, the uh, the Nuggets. A lot of people um, maybe are surprised at how how well they're playing. Missed the playoffs last season, but they were a trendy pick by some to be a top four seed in the Western Conference, and it's playing out that way. What is different this season as opposed to that Nuggets team that did struggle out the gate to begin the seventeen eighteen season? The number one thing you look at is the defense. Denver, I think, currently ranks third in defensive efficiency. Um, and as much as I think that number is probably a fluke, I don't think they're one of the three best defenses in the NBA. I don't think it's so much of a fluke that they can't be a top 15 defense. I mean, they are really – the effort level is incredibly high night and day from what it was last year. They just seem to be more comfortable. And then Paul Millsap just makes that much of a difference covering up for so many guys' mistakes and just uh, his intensity level is sort of always uh, on full blast. So the Nuggets last year, I think, 26 in defensive efficiency. This year, they're third to start the, the first nine games of the season. It also helps, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that – Will Barton is out, so they've gone with uh, Tory Craig in that starting lineup, who basically is a defense-only sort of guy, because they've got plenty of offense. That was always my concern with Barton in that starting lineup: is just a bunch of guys playing uh, playing offense and without, without as much concentration on defense. But Craig and Millsap, to a degree, are there really to provide defense, and yeah, their offense is, is secondary. And for for Craig, it's probably tertiary. Yeah, his offensive focus. Do you think that's had an impact getting a guy in there who probably fits a little bit better with the starters, uh, fortuitously with that Barton injury? Or is Barton's loss from that starting lineup still is still something that I guess um, you would make this team as uh, as good as they are at the moment? I think that Barton's injury is actually it's gonna it's already cost Denver. I think they're 16th or 17th in offensive efficiency. Their offense is their their strength, but. Uh, as you mentioned, Torrey Craig, not really as much of a threat offensively. He's really struggling with his shot this year. But I like Barton in the starting lineup. And, you know, the numbers bear this out, albeit on a very small sample size. I think Barton in that role, for, for one, he makes the offense almost unguardable. You're talking about 
three 40% three-point shooters around the perimeter and Mer- Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and, and Will Barton. And then Nikola Jokic, who's just the ultimate you know, stretch five because of all the different things he can do. So offensively, they were unstoppable. And then defensively, I really don't think it's that big of a drop-off between Will Barton and Torrey Craig. I know Torrey Craig is a hustle guy and a defensive guy. He was a defensive player of the year down in Australia before coming over to the U.S. But he... um. So he does have a little bit more of a, like an individual defensive impact, but I think it's marginal. Um, really, offensively, Denver has has struggled, and for two reasons, they're not knocking down shots, uh, which I think Will Barton would really help alleviate a lot of that. And then also, I think Jamal Murray is struggling to get the ball uh, in into the flow of the offense because teams have really started to challenge him ninety four feet from the basket and made him, you know, really work to bring the ball up. I think Will Barton alleviates both of those issues. So his loss to me. I think the Nuggets team would actually look even better than they have had he stayed healthy. Barton is still a way away from returning. Isaiah Thomas, similar with his uh, his hip injury. I think Woj reported that we're not likely to see Isaiah until December. Um, where, where is you know, a healthy Isaiah is obviously going to be a boost offensively, but how does he fit into this team? Monty Morris providing some good uh, backup minutes at the moment, playing alongside Jamal Murray as well. But you know, what's the what's the latest on Isaiah Thomas? Was was I right in, in terms of that December return that Woj mentioned? And where does he fit in with this team? Yeah, so that just came out yesterday. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski has actually been in town in Denver. I think he's still here and will be here for the the Celtics are in town tomorrow, Monday night. So he's been around. He just dropped that that little piece of info that Isaiah Thomas is expected back in December. Um, and as for how he fits, I think it's really one of the great mysteries this year because I think Denver's a very talented team. I think people are starting to catch on that – you know, they're not just a playoff hopeful team, but should be one of the teams considered not a lock, but but highly likely to be in that top four seed hunt. Um, but he's but Isaiah Thomas, he he could elevate the the bench and become the scoring force that, you know, Denver has Mason Plumley, who I think is a starting caliber center. Uh, they've got Malik Beasley, who shot the ball really well. Trey Lyles, who's really starting to come into his own. So they have some really nice pieces on the bench. Isaiah Thomas could elevate that. Or at the same time, you know, he could hurt it because he is such an overwhelming force and he is such a ball dominant player that maybe he disrupts some of the nice rhythm that the Nuggets have. So I really don't know. I think the upside is certainly that he would make the team even better. But stylistically, the Denver Nuggets have a lot of continuity and they've really kind of found their groove. Can Isaiah Thomas fit into that? Uh, that's a big question. Yeah, it is a huge question because there is that that risk and this continuity has been built up over a couple of seasons. Very little in terms of turnover with the main rotation guys on this squad. Yeah. And they all are yeah, still really meshing fantastically. A lot of times teams start hot at the beginning of the season and it's fueled by you know, huge stretches of unsustainable shooting. We saw the Orlando Magic. Oh, people thought oh, maybe they've right. turned it around last season. They were shooting like 45% from three. But two of the best shooters on this team, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, are both hitting under 30% of their threes at the moment. So the Nuggets are doing this while their main guys aren't actually knocking in threes at even a, a, an average rate, let alone a su- supremely above average rate. So there is still, as we've mentioned, a, a huge room for improvement in what they do offensively. Um, is there any reason why these guys are, are off at the moment? We heard Michael Malone talk about Murray through preseason and training camp that his shot wasn't falling and it has continued through the regular season. Is there anything that's that's happening there? Or do you think that is that that Barton factor that is you know, putting more focus on both Harry and Murray maybe rushing some of their shots. I think it's the Barton factor, and and I don't know that it's necessarily that it's putting more pressure on, on Jamal and Gary. What I think is happening is it's twofold. I mean, 
teams are really not guarding Torrey Craig and just daring him to be the guy that receives all of the kickout passes. And he's hesitant to shoot. He doesn't really provide a ton of spacing, and he's just not a great three-point shooter. So everything gets a little bit more muddled. But I really do think the biggest thing is that the Nuggets are at their best through this continuity-style offense where – you know, you, you call a couple plays just to create structure, but you just go from one dribble handoff to the next. And you go from Jamal Murray and Jokic to Gary Harrison Jokic to Will Barton to Jokic and back. And you just kind of do that until the defense falls behind. And that's really, really hard to guard. When you have a player in Paul Millsap who doesn't quite fit the system, I mean, defensively, he's so good that he more than makes up for it. But offensively, you know, he has to kind of pick and choose his spots. But then you add in Torrey Craig, who's another guy who's sort of not an option to run pick and roll or dribble handoffs. He's not really an option to space the floor. It really limits how frequently the team can kind of get into that flow offense. So that I really do think the Barton factor is the number one reason. Guys have missed some wide open shots, but the offense just hasn't been very fluid so far. Uh, and I think it's because they do have one that, that one offensive weak link. The Nuggets have a huge game coming up either tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this, against the Boston Celtics, which is going to be a huge test for them. It, it is at home, so they get that advantage. The Celtics are looking to find their groove a little bit after a couple of decent performances, including a big win over Milwaukee. So it's a huge game coming up. Adam, you're going to have all that uh, covered off over at Locked On Nuggets uh, during the week. So guys, make sure you're checking out Locked On Nuggets for uh, you know, coverage of one of the best teams in the NBA at the moment. Adam, thanks for coming on, uh, on Locked On NBA today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, guys, that wraps it up for another edition of Locked On NBA. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I am your host on Mondays, Josh Lloyd. And follow us, the network, on Instagram and on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you could leave us a five-star rating and a review, that would be absolutely most excellent. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.